0: Let us begin with a brief New Testament reading, Ephesians 3, 20, and we then continue in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15 today. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, let us pray. Our gracious God, we now come for the public reading and preaching of your word according to your own will and pleasure. We thank you, Lord, for granting us the Holy Scriptures in our own language. And even more, Lord, we thank you for granting us the Holy Scriptures upon our heart and our mind and our will. As surely as you wrote them upon tablets of stone with your own finger, write them upon us. Oh, gracious Lord, we pray that we would not be like the man who looks in a mirror and turns away and forgets what he saw in his own reflection. May we remember and take responsibility for all that we hear today. We will will surely need your grace to do so. So, Lord, we pray that it would be given by the merits of Jesus Christ, who has bought us at the cost of his blood, O Lord, we pray to his glory and to your glory and to the Spirit's glory that we would receive grace to believe and obey all you have spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Genesis 18, please. We'll read the first 15 verses here. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. God's word. At different times, a Christian can end up living a very small and cramped life, as if they were living inside A wooden crate. And this is because the Christian does not believe the whole truth about divine power. So we do not fully stand up and stretch our joy in the Lord because we do not believe the whole truth about about divine power. So we do not experience faith's full range of motion. We do not move freely with zeal in the work of the Lord. And the life of faith becomes cramped, guarded, gloomy, stingy, suspicious. And like a constant low fever, we become reluctant to rest in and enjoy God because we remain, truth be told, suspicious of God, thinking the circumstances of our life would not be the circumstances they are if God were a little more powerful. We end up with Mary's words in our heart, words she spoke right outside her brother's tomb. Lord, if you had been here, how different those gloomy words are to the word Jesus spoke about the exact same trouble. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. John eleven fifteen. Mary's loss was not a failure of divine power. It was, in fact, the postponement of divine power to achieve the greater purposes of God for the ones whom he loves. Being slow to believe is one of our great diseases, isn't it? I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. But in all our unbelief, there is good news, of course, And the news that's good is that Christ, God in Christ, loves us. And he loves us not in proportion to our goodness. He loves us in proportion to his own goodness. So God comes from time to time when the testimony of our unbelief has ripened on our conscience. He comes time to time and perfectly rebukes us for our little faith. This morning is one of those times. In the providential course of our reading through Genesis, God brings his gentle rebuke to all of us today as he questions Sarah standing outside her tent. Is anything too hard for the Lord? This, this is the morning, you see, that you might discover how you have dishonored God by thinking many things are too difficult for him. This is the morning you see that you might discover that many things in your life are not being done because you think God lacks the power to do them. And you might find out that about yourself, that you have such low and hard thoughts of God. Beloved, let us understand God's power is not in always taking problems away, but in sanctifying your problems to you. God's power is not always demonstrated in making something new, but indeed taking that which is old and sewing it into the very fabric of your life to make you more godly, to make you more holy, to make you more heavenly, to make you more faithful to make you more true? Do you want God to demonstrate his power to those ends? Or do you only want him to remove what you've decided is an obstacle? So the first thing we are going to see today in our passage is that by grace we are reconciled to the supernatural power of Almighty God. The second thing we are going to see is that we are rebuked for our unbelief in the supernatural power of Almighty God. And the third thing we are going to see is that we are to rely on the supernatural power of Almighty God. So number one, let us see that we are reconciled to the supernatural power of Almighty God. Now the scene before us in Genesis 18 opens with this remarkable announcement of a divine visitation. It's in verse 1. There it is declared that the Lord Himself has come to appear before Abraham at the very place Abraham has pitched his tent by the oaks of Mamre. Here it is in the heat of the day. Abraham is relaxing. It's the perfect time to take a break from all the work of a herdsman. He is enjoying a siesta. And presumably Abraham has positioned his tent so that the door is in the shade that the tent itself makes, probably facing the north, yes? Well, at some point in this quiet, sun-filled hour, Abram lifts up his eyes, and suddenly, standing before him, not far away, there are three men. One of them is Yahweh, the Lord. You probably see that word capitalized in verse 1 of your Bible. This is the same Yahweh who will later speak from the burning bush to Moses. This is the same Yahweh who called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. Abram, 100 years old, suddenly looks like a child again. The text says he goes running to meet them. He is falling on the ground even, it says, to honor them. You've got to remember this scene. A 100-year-old man running and falling on the ground to honor his visitor, the Lord. Remember that scene. Beloved, you are in your youthful strength when you are in the adoration of God. It doesn't matter what it says on your birth certificate. You are never younger when you are worshiping he who is eternal. So Abraham, when he gets to the three, he can clearly see that one of them is more prestigious. One is more prominent than the other two, which is exactly why he first speaks to just one. Verse 3, O Lord, Adonai, is what he says in Hebrew. Adonai, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. It is the same one who has much to say to Abraham and Sarah in verses 10 through 15. This is the Lord with two angelic hosts This is a picture right out of Isaiah 6, where the cherubim and the seraphim are flying around the Holy One in his heavenly tabernacle, but this is that picture peaceably, quietly, tenderly upon the earth. We should understand that what we are witnessing here is 2,000 years before Christ will be born of Mary. What is happening in Genesis 18, is not yet the incarnation of God. This is a theophany, which quite literally means an appearing of God. It is a brief appearing, but it is an appearing nonetheless. It is God appearing in the form of a man for the comfort of man. He would have us to know that he does not abhor us. No, he means to dwell with us He means to be among us. And even here then, in Genesis 18, the eternal God is forecasting his intentions with all his church to be God to them and dwell in their midst forever. Now, Scripture clearly states, as you know, that God is not a man. He often appeared as a man, but he is not a man. He is not a mortal being of flesh. He is not a creature. It says in 1 Timothy 1.17, God is the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. But at various times, long before Christ's birth, God stooped down in love and tenderness to appear to his people. For example, in Genesis 3, we learn that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And later, after the fall, Exodus 24, we learn, quote, that Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up on Mount Sinai, and they saw the God of Israel. And Exodus 33 even says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. These are all theophanies. And what we are to understand from these theophanies and many others is that heaven and earth were to be reconciled. The power of God would not always and forever be opposed to the sinfulness of man. God would not remain hidden from us. He wants to be known by us. What is happening in Genesis 18 then is God's forecasting The ultimate theophany, which is no longer a theophany. It becomes an incarnation, which is announced by angels to shepherds over Bethlehem, a village in the hills of Judea, not far from where Abram's tent is. You know what those angels said 2,000 years later after Abram. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And it says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among, among us. Or if I may make a crude translation, tented among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. How is peace possible between the most high God of heaven and the sinful men of earth? It is possible because, as the scripture says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Second Corinthians 5.19. Beloved, this means that through the mediation of Jesus Christ, by his body and blood given for us, given by God for us, we are totally and forever reconciled to God's power, which is the power that is above all earthly powers. There is earthly power, but the power to which you are reconciled is the power that is above all earthly powers, which means all earthly powers are not against us, but in Christ they are all now subordinate to us, and they serve us, every single day under the divine government of the divine power that you are now reconciled to through Jesus Christ. That means everything that is not getting done, that you think should get done, everything that is not being removed, that you think should be removed, everything that is not being added, that you think should be added, none of that is a failure of the power to which you are now reconciled through Jesus Christ. It is actually an expression of the power to which you are now reconciled. That's why that problem isn't gone. That's why that thing hasn't been found. That's why that relationship is not better. Beloved, this means God's power is always discharged for us and always being restrained for us. There's nothing at present which is not taking place that needs to take place, or else it would take place, for God's arm is not shortened. It is a doubting and denying of God's power that thinks a necessary thing is not being done, and it would be done if God were more able to do it. No. God is all-powerful, And God is all reconciled to his believing, born-of-God children. A thing is not being done because it should not be done, or it should not be done at this time. There's nothing not taking place because God lacks the power to do it. There's nothing not taking place because you are not quite yet reconciled to God. In Christ, you are fully, totally, and foreverly. I just made that up foreverly reconciled. Abraham gave us the clue we needed. Please stay. Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please stay. Do not pass by your servant. And then what he says next about what he's going to give them to eat sounds like something that you could fit in a one of those smaller, snack-sized Ziploc bags. And I think Abram is trying to make the lunch menu sound very easy to prepare so that they would not feel like he's going to keep them too long so that they would say, yes, we'll stay. And then when they say yes, he pulls out this massive feast. And they stay and eat. And it's the meal of reconciliation to confirm to the fragile infirm, weak, sinful Abraham and Sarah, you are reconciled to divine power. Do not be afraid. The very words Christ said after his resurrection. And so the meal, briefly, that was a covenantal meal. And in that meal, Yahweh, the Lord, renews the terms of the covenant. They will have the promised son the promised son will come from abram's loins from sarah's womb and it will come within the year and so the whole meal says abram i'm i'm at peace with you still and so when they accept that offer they are accepting abraham confirming to him that he is in the covenant of grace and if they had said no abraham would have had every reason to believe that he and his house had been rejected But the three men did not say no. They sat down, waited for the meal, and ate the meal. And we see in this little meal right here by the Oaks of Mamre, we see the church's sacred meal, don't we? This is a foreshadowing of the Lord's Supper that he would institute and set in his churches until the end of the age, where the God of all power says to us from that table, Every time we partake, I am at peace with you. Everything's okay. I want you to live. I'm here serving you bread and wine. I want you to live and I want to be your God. I am your God. You are alive. Beloved, you should attend the Lord's Supper as often as you can. Let your soul be strengthened by that which Christ has appointed to declare peace to your conscience peace deep in your soul. Don't laugh it off and say, I can get peace some other place than the supper. No, no. It is where Christ is specially pleased to give you peace. Now, second, we are not only to see that we are reconciled to the supernatural power of Almighty God, we are to see how important it is for the Lord's ministry of rebuke. He rebukes our unbelief in the supernatural power of Almighty God. So beginning in verse 9, the Lord arranges his words to get Sarah's attention. Where is Sarah, your wife? The Lord, of of course, knows where Sarah is. She is out of sight inside the tent. But the Lord wants Sarah to cease what she is doing and listen closely. It is possible that Sarah, for several days or even several weeks, has not been listening to Abraham about the coming miraculous birth of Isaac. Remember, the Lord has already announced to Abraham that this miraculous conception of the promised son in Sarah's barren womb is going to happen. Abram already knows it. We heard this in the previous chapter, verse 16 of chapter 17. When Abraham heard it, he laughed with joy and amazement. It was the laughter of faith. Did Abram try to tell Sarah? We don't know. Did he put off telling Sarah? We don't know. Did Sarah have such a dark mood about her that Abram knew not to bring it up? We don't know. Is this why the visitors have come, in part, to do that which Abram had failed to do? Tell Sarah about the coming miraculous birth in her own womb? Or did he try to tell her and have no success, so the visitors must do it? Whatever the case may be, what we do know is that when Sarah hears it, she is going to laugh, but not the laughter of faith. She has a mocking, unbelieving laugh. Look at verse 10 then. The Lord speaks to Abraham in earshot of Sarah. I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So somewhere behind the Lord's back, either inside the tent door or actually just inside the tent, out of view, somewhere Sarah was listening to the Lord. And how did Sarah receive the news? She secretly laughs to herself. A laugh she thought was all her own until she heard the same voice that had just announced this miraculous birth, say this. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Let us take a moment and answer the Lord's question. Why did Sarah laugh? Sarah laughed because she knew that the way of woman had ceased in her. Now that, beloved, is a very specific Hebrew idiom that describes menopause and menstruation. It's used in other places in the Old Testament for a younger woman who has not experienced menopause. But its use here is clearly stating that Sarah knows that she has stopped menstruating. So not only has her womb been barren in her years of fertility, now she is actually not even producing the normal egg process that would allow pregnancy. The Lord has waited until the perfect time. There is no deeper death in the birth process, in the conception process of this woman's body. And Sarah laughed because she knows it and she interprets her life and interprets the world and interprets God. Oh boy, she interprets God and what he is going to do by the feeble sense of human reason and human understanding. Why did Sarah laugh the Lord says. And then the questioning, question of rebuke. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, when Sarah hears this, she immediately knows something has gone wrong. If it is not too hard for the Lord to hear her secret thoughts, it is not too hard for the Lord to open her womb. Long past closing time. Verse 13 and verse 14 is the Lord's rebuke of the church's unbelief. She is a child of God, but she still relies on feeble senses of human reason and human abilities. So the Lord rebukes her little faith, her slow faith, her sluggish faith, and who is she? She is the church. She is Sarah she is both. And beloved, this rebuke is one of the most common rebukes of Christians found throughout all scripture. The rebuke of our unbelieving, the supernatural power of Almighty God. Our Lord Jesus rebuked it most frequently by a short phrase, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith, O ye of little faith, a common rebuke in the Gospels. Let me share with you a few of this most common rebukes for Christians in the Bible. In Psalm seventy-eight, nineteen, the church, the ancient church is rebuked. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God feed us a wilderness people out in a sojourning desert? Can the Lord feed us out here? The Lord heard. Let me give you another one from Numbers chapter 11, verse 21. Here the Lord, speaking to the same hungry people in the wilderness, told them that you shall eat meat for 30 days, for a month. This time it is Moses needing the rebuke. Moses hears that they are going to be eating meat in the wilderness for a month, and he says, Numbers eleven twenty-one: 21, the people among whom I am whom I am a number, are 600,000 on foot? And you have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat a whole month? Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? You see the sarcasm Moses brings to the Lord's ear? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Another rebuke is found in 2 Chronicles 16.12. This concerns Asa, the king of Judah. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. He did not call on the power of of the Almighty, for his physical ailment. Another one, 2 Kings 7, this is, under, this is during the siege of Samaria by Ben-Hadad of Syria, the wicked king. He has them all locked behind their city walls, and because of this siege, inflation has sent all foods through the roof in pricing. But Elisha stands up and says, Hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Elisha has just prophesied the power of the Almighty, that there is going to be a dramatic deflation of prices within 24 hours. Then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to Elisha, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Do you hear the mocking, sarcastic laughter? But Elisha said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Brothers and sisters, it is a common rebuke of the children of God throughout the scriptures our unbelief in the power of the Almighty. Why is this particular rebuke so common? Because the Christian faith stands or falls on the reality of the supernatural activity of the living God. As Dr. Machen said once, there is no absolute divine goodness that intrudes in the present world process unless it is the supernaturalism of the Almighty. which, of course, raises the question, what is supernaturalism? What is this power of God of which we speak? What is the power of God upon which our faith is founded? Dr. Machen wisely answers, supernaturalism is bounded by two things, the existence of a personal God and the existence of a real order of nature. Without the existence of a personal God, there could be no purposeful entrance of God's power into the order of the world. And without the real existence of an order of nature, there could be no distinction between natural events and those that are above nature. In that case, all events would simply be supernatural. Rather than the word supernatural, we would have no meaning at all Now, the distinction between natural and supernatural does not mean, indeed, that nature is independent of God. It does not mean that while God brings to pass supernatural events, natural events are not brought to pass by him. On the contrary, the believer in the supernatural regards everything that is done as being the work of God. Only he believes that in the events called natural God is using means. Whereas in the events called supernatural, he uses no means, but puts forth his creative power. And that's what he does in the womb of a barren 90-year-old woman who is long past menopause. The Lord creates Israel in Sarah's womb. As Herman Bavinck put it, while the nations of the earth are walking in their own ways and are developing what was given them in general revelation, a creative act of God called a people into being out of Abraham. It fits perfectly with what the Lord said to his own people when he rebuked them on another occasion for their unbelief in his supernatural power Deuteronomy 32.6, he said, Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you? He's not talking about the first creation of Genesis 1. He's talking about the creation of Genesis 18. The generative, creative act of a child named Isaac through whom would come the line of all true believers and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, secondly, we have seen that we need to be rebuked about our unbelief in the supernatural power of the Almighty God. And lastly, and briefly, we are now to see that we must rely on the supernatural power of Almighty God. Sarah has lied. When the angel says, or excuse me, when the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? She responds, I did not laugh. And with such excellence, such pastoral sweetness, such a concern for righteousness, or else Sarah surely would be lost to hell, the Lord does not let the lie stand. No, he says, but you did laugh. And to Sarah's credit, which is really only a credit to divine grace, she says nothing. She lets the Lord's judicial announcement be the last word. Such is the propriety that belongs to all true children of God. Lord, you tell me who I am. You tell me what I have done. You declare right and wrong over me. I am silent. I fall upon your mercy. And there is much mercy for Sarah. But let's discover a little special thing here. Sarah's lie, though corrected and needing to be corrected, it also reveals an attempt On her part, to recover her faith, to restore and strengthen her faith. She is ashamed that she laughed and murmured. She is ashamed, but she is not yet so solid in the graces of holiness, so she lies because she's afraid. And she soon finds out that her fear was too severe against the Lord for he gently rebukes her, and it's a, the matter is ended. But what we see in Abraham and Sarah throughout their lives, and even, of course, in this scene right here, is a faith that is always growing and faltering. Growing and faltering. Growing and faltering. This is just like your faith. Just like my faith. Growing and faltering. But all of this growing and faltering, this ebbing and flowing, this sprouting and falling, all of it is in Jesus Christ. All of it is in the boundaries of covenant love. And this is why when we get to the New Testament scriptures, and we look through all the reports in the New Testament on Abraham and Sarah, what we find those reports saying to us is all fruitfulness, all faithfulness, All obedience, all endurance. And you wonder for a moment have these New Testament authors not read the Old Testament? They can't seem to say anything negative about Abraham and Sarah's faith. I am fairly confident Paul would say negative things about Abraham's faith, negative things about Sarah's faith. Wasn't that already said? in Genesis 18. I speak of who they are in Christ for the eschatological age that is an age that never ends. And so in Hebrews eleven eleven, 11, you hear this, that Sarah, by faith, received power to conceive. And you're like, well, there's a lot missing there. No, it's not missing. It's been written once. The Lord wants us to see how he regards his dear children in the bonds of the Christian gospel. John Calvin very helpfully said, we see in Abraham and Sarah that error is often mingled with faith. And yet, when faith is real, it always obtains the preeminence. Faith may be obscured, Calvin adds, but it is never extinguished. And we are to even see and learn that here. So Sarah, even in her lie, she is trying to recover her faith. Not because she lost it, but because it was weak. And she is trying, of course, by God's help, even with his judicial correction of her lie, he is helping her to rely on supernatural power. And Hebrews eleven eleven says she does. So I close then with this for you to test you, to test whether you are more ready to laugh like Sarah or to believe like Sarah. Beloved, here it is. By this time next year, you will be among the most mature Christians. In this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most zealous Christians in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most weak and sweet and pleasant and approachable and agreeable Christians in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most generous Christians in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most wise Christians in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most heavenly-minded Christians in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most patient, long-suffering, forbearing Christian husbands in this church. By this time next year, you will be among the most meek and sweet and agreeable Christian wives in this church. By this time next year, children, you will be among the most obedient, mom and dad honoring, God-loving children in this church. Beloved, how do I know that I can say these things with what almost sounds to you perhaps like a prophetic edge. I'll tell you how I know. Because Christ Jesus has been born in you. Because Christ has been born to Mary. And because Christ is firstborn from the dead. And because Christ has been born in all believers. Because the Holy Spirit indwells all believers and because the Father and the Son and the Spirit have taken abode in you. The life of the eternal God is now dwelling in you and you in him through a supernatural power that was bestowed upon you by a supernatural person through a supernatural atonement, through a supernatural resurrection And now, through a supernatural intercession. When you hear that you are going to be among the most godly of Christians next year, do you laugh? Or do you believe? Would you prefer that I say something worse about you? Would you prefer that I say something easy that would require nothing supernatural? Or beloved, would you prefer that I tell you that which the risen Christ tells you? That what he is forming in you? Let us pray and hear the word of God. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness." Gracious God, forgive us for laughing in our spirit whenever we hear about things that are to be done in our homes, in our hearts, in our hands, in our wallets, in our ambitions in our secret sins. Forgive us for laughing. And reaching instead, we reach for feeble sense. We reach for the limitations that are common to men. Oh Lord, forgive us. We thank you for every time that you have come and will come again because of your great love for us every time you will rebuke us for this. For it is a splash of cold water that we desperately need. For we are so prone to wander and reach for the limitations that are familiar. So Lord, we call upon he who is above all earthly powers. He who has given us the power of the divine nature in our sweet and lasting and unbreakable union with him, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name that we would indeed become more and more of that which he is. O oh Lord, we pray that you would do it, and in the doing of it, make us always ready to give up, to lose, to set down, to walk away from that which is an absolute hindrance. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen.